0: Lock Talk Radio.
1: Across the country and around the world, streaming live on the internet, it's Real Estate Coaching Radio, bringing you the latest news, interviews, and secrets of the top producers. Hosted by award winning real estate coaches. Tim and Julie Harris.
2: Welcome back, and welcome everyone to today's very special real estate coaching radio. We have a really a longtime friend of ours, and one of the nation's top producing agents, Mr. Pat Hyman, and I'll introduce you guys to Pat here in a second. Um, before we do, I just want to let all of you know uh, that this is, of course, a live radio show. And any time during the radio show, if you guys would like to call in, you may do so to three four seven. Eight five seven one one nine five three four seven eight five seven one one nine five, and um, our producer will uh, screen you and make sure that uh, you have questions that are relevant to today's show, and then you can ask Pat or, of course, Julia and myself. And by the way, Julie, of course, welcome back. And we're streaming live today from the lovely Austin, Texas. South by Southwest just ended. I'm sure you guys have been hearing about that in the news. And it was a, uh, by all reports, a gloomy South by Southwest. It's a big interactive media. Um, I think, I don't know how else to call it. It's, it's uh, something that is pretty much now become an international event here in Austin, Texas. A lot of people that are in different forms of, uh, you know, it used to be essentially a small thing for people that were on the cutting edge, bloggers and whatnot. But really now it's something that's, you know, Edward Snowden was broadcasting live from, his safe house in england or whatever it was or maybe it was russia and and uh you know just all these really kind of dark seedy um is the uh, nsa listening to us type conversations were everywhere during south by southwest but you know it doesn't relate to today's radio show because obviously we are interviewing pat hyben but you know pat do you ever feel like anyone's listening in on you
3: <laughs> uh, no, I don't, and that's probably a good thing because if I did, then I would care. So I really don't care. That was so, a, no, actually, no that that's right. a segue, by the way. That's was, that was impressive. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, very good. Now, yeah, I didn't know where the you know, hell I people, wanted that either, so I thought I'd just throw it over the Pat. That's good. <laughs> I like it. I started thinking, does that mean do you have
3: voices in your head? And I was mm-hmm. like, well, uh, sometimes, but they're just my well, conscience, Pat, just you're, normal. You're,
2: you're one of the Pat you 're one of the nation 's few billion dollar agents, which I know you 've sold i mean you 've been a billion dollar agent for a while, so hopefully you've you know you 're a billion plus at this point, which means that you and your uh, team have sold or your teams really have sold more than a billion dollars to real estate and Julie and I use you specifically by name uh, as examples of someone who uh, built not just a, a big team but someone who built like a mega team so let the listeners know about. Um, just kind of like a, a capitalized version of where your business was, say, at its peak during the bubble.
3: At its peak was probably 2005, six, 4 to 6 was probably my peak. And uh, 4, 5, and 6, I grossed over $5 million each year, which was 500 transactions it was, I think it was 503 501 and 508 and uh i netted anywhere from a million to a million and a half each year uh during those three years
2: so about 20 percent
3: exactly yes 20
2: yes, percent. <laughs> okay good so um you know, I'm curious, you, but you had like two different locations, right? I mean, essentially you had one team, but you guys were operating in. You were the definition of what Gary Keller calls a mega team, in essence, correct?
3: Yeah, we did that. Uh, we, it didn't last long with the two team thing. It was, uh, it, and it may have been just the way I had it set up, but yeah, for about two years, I had a second location that we earned money from.
2: Okay, good. So Julie and I, uh, actually, Julie, you didn't know this, but prior to today's uh, interview, actually, I left mm-hmm. Pat a voicemail. I emailed mm-hmm. Pat, and then I, then Pat called in, and he and I spoke a little bit, because I wanted to make sure Pat was cool with talking about the types of things that you and I normally talk about on this radio show, and I didn't mm-hmm. want to put him in a position of feeling in conflict with Keller Williams, because obviously he's a huge right. Keller Williams agent and does a lot like mm-hmm. Keller Williams. And so Pat has given me permission to talk about Whatever we want to talk about with him today, so Julie, ah, We can, we, we can keep our gloves off. That's good. Yeah, Excellent. we don't have to be politically correct. Exactly. <laughs> so we'll just see. We'll just see about that, though, won't we? We're going to test him. We will. If he just disappears, <laughs> we'll know that that was. How dare you. <laughs> oh. <Uh-oh. laughs> <laughs> All right. So we use Pat as an example of someone who built a mega team, but the real reason we use Pat as an example is because he's one of the only people. This might sound a little offensive to folks, but I'm just going to be honest. He's one of the only people I know that's ever sold real estate at that level that will be honest about what his net was. Okay? Mm -hmm. There it is. He's actually honest about where his numbers fell. So we saw, we've experienced an increase, Julie, I would say, what would you say, in the past 90 days probably, of almost exclusively Keller Williams agents that are asking for free coaching calls, and they come Mm -hmm. to the free coaching call requesting help building their team. And after a few questions, usually not too many, we quickly determined that building a team is the last thing they should be doing because they need to learn how to actually be decent agents, if not good agents, first. They, generally speaking, think they have a high level of skills, but they're buying all their buyer leads. They're happening into listings. In other words, they really, don't really have an organized business approach. So I don't even know if it's putting the cart before the horse, but it's essentially putting what might not be good information a good business plan for them Ahead of profitability, so you've experienced mm-hmm. plenty of free mm-hmm. coaching calls like that. Time. What are, what, is, what are your flavors of that been?
0: Well, the call usually starts out. You know, we look at numbers and where. My question is always, where are you are, where are you now versus where you want to be in, say, six months, and we compare production goals. And usually, it's something that you know, going from one deal a month or so to maybe three deals a month, or having deals every month instead of sporadically. And then, then quickly the call becomes. But I've been busy building my team, and so there's a disconnect there from a coaching standpoint, which is you know we always coach to lead with revenue, and I know that that's also a KW theme, you know that is in the books that that uh, are are very, very much revered. Okay, um, so yeah, lead with revenue. However, a lot of these agents are so enamored with the team concept. And I think that they zero in on the thought that it's all about hiring other people to do the stuff that you don't want to do so that you can do what you do want to do, which does sound good. But the problem is they go hiring people before they actually know how to do what it is they're trying to delegate.
2: So, Pat, you want to jump in here?
3: Yeah, I think the answer out there, or I should say the question out there, is this. How many deals should I be doing before I hire my first assistant?
0: Exactly. Couldn't agree more.
2: And the answer that we coach our students to, and I know it's not so dissimilar to the advice that you give to folks too, Pat, is eight deals a month for three months in a row. You know, if your sale price constitutes fewer transactions, the point is you have to be doing consistent business, and consistency is measured by having done, you know, four deals or five deals, or you know, if the average sale price is two hundred grand, 8 deals a row, in a row for three months. Whereas what a lot of agents will do is they'll hire somebody and then think that, that somehow magically the cash flow will increase to pay for them. Yeah, I guess where it all comes from, the root of really where our concern comes from, Pat, is there does seem to be a new generation of agents that are getting into this business that don't appreciate the importance of sales skills. What's your feeling on that thought?
3: Well, yeah, I mean at the end of the day I think you're going to make more of a profit if you're in the ditches reaping what you sow, you know? Uh you you got to get out there and work as in the, you know one of the chapters of my book is, is six steps to seven figures, step 4 is work. Um and I think that I I believe in having a huge work ethic it, uh, in order to make money if that's the stage in life where you're at. Now, um you know, in order to do eight deals a month, quite frankly, you're going to have to work about 80 hours a week at least. I mean, you're, you're not going to do that by not working. Um, and I, and so I guess what's happening is they're trying to leverage themselves early on in the process so they don't have to work as hard. And, again, it, it there's nothing wrong with that, um, but just bear in mind, you're not going to make as much money, you know, you're just not going to profit as much, uh, or or you might lose
2: money. So you and I had an interesting conversation um, a couple of weeks ago, where we were talking about this kind of concept that we're trying to bring to real estate, where the product is profit, not you know happy customers or you know all the other things that answers that agents typically ask. If you were to pose the questions to them, what is your product? All those happy customers and the listings and the sold and the referrals and all those types of things. Those are all things that happen. Organically, but really, truly, if you have a mindset of profit, if you really are focusing on that, then everything else kind of falls into place, and if you don 't focus on profit, you end up basically burning the candle at both ends. Pat, I know focusing on profit is something that you do do. Is that something you've always done?
3: Yes, of course you know i've i've've I like money just like the next guy I probably like money more than the next guy, but um if your question is is have I ever been in a situation where I was upside down and I let my ego get me there? The answer is that's unequivocally yes. I, I, I'll never forget, uh, it was probably 15 years ago, it was actually when I I was at a company called Long and & Foster and a, and a, a mentor of my, uh, got me to transfer over to Remax. And uh, so instantly I went from being the top agent in a company or an office where everybody else was part-time or did a deal every two months or so to being the low man on the totem pole in about an office of about 25 top producers. And so I had a chip on my shoulder and I went in there and I spent all kinds of money trying to get my numbers to be the number one in this office where I was number one, the youngest agent. I think I was about 26 and I was the... Uh, you know certainly the brashest and the and the the one who had the most approve and I spent all this money I built a team and I made it to the top Remax agent not only in my office but in our county which had three Remax offices and I took everybody out to dinner and I'm sitting there at dinner and I remember just sitting back and having this wave of panic over myself <laughs> realizing that I was such a fraud that I actually had made it to the top, but I had not profited in about five months. I hadn't made a cent, and I was actually losing money on the, uh, the profit-loss statement, and, and that is when I came to the realization that this, that this is r- ridiculous. You know what I mean? This is, uh, is going to be a silly tax return this year.
2: Well, I mean, it's interesting. You're taking me back to some of the conferences we'd go to for Howard stuff. You know, Howard Britton, who we all dearly miss and love. And he's a mentor for everyone on this call and many of you listening. You know, Pat, Julie, and I were all Howard stars. That's how we originally met. So uh, I remember going to those retreats, those once-a-year retreats that Howard would have just for the stars, back when it wasn't a massive group like it eventually became. And I remember having a very similar conversation where we were sitting around with you know, some of the people that I mean, Pat, I don't want to name drop, but you'll remember all these characters. You know, there'd be people that fly in on their own jets, there'd be people that would show up that had watches that had a higher that were worth more than our net worth, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff. These were I remember really those dec- days.
3: Yeah, you know, and those people, most of them are, most of them are still alive, Tim. And we can do this without naming names, but a lot of those people, who in your mind, in my mind, might be two different people, they might be the same people, but several of them, or all of them, are still alive. And and in many of them, I have run into, and quite frankly, um, they're broke.
2: Right, I know that's exactly what the point I was getting to. But at the yes, exactly, and and worse, Pat, and worse, we know people that, yeah. you know the finances of having to uh, basically be successful uh, and let their egos get in the way of that. Some of them have, you know, killed themselves. I mean, there's been really horrible things that have happened. That too, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, horrible things. A good friend of yours did. So, I mean, this is, yeah, Marshall writer and art,
3: mm-hmm. art Scott and all those guys were big names. We used to look up to them and, and both of them committed suicide. I mean, uh, and, and it, And I don't think it was just because they were having a bad day. It was, you know, they they went from riches to rags, you know. Well, you know, or or faced it. I think with Marshall particularly, you know, he he didn't lose all his money, but he was facing it. You know, he was looking at it every day. Like, shoot, what if all this crumbles down on me? And I think the pressure of that possibility is what led him to uh, kill himself.
2: Well, I mean, I don't obviously want to take this call in a you know, similar tone that South by Southwest was because that's the direction we're going Well, to go. no, but here's, yeah, here's but, what I remember.
0: is I remember, especially early on, and I think it's easy for agents in, in any age of their um, career to do this, but especially the ones that are newer, we all looked up to those guys, and it was like the goal was first to crank the volume and to hire team members and build your this and that and do all your marketing. And then I remember... Going to one of those events, going, you know, aha, epiphany, it doesn't matter how much you crank through the pipeline if you don't keep anything. And that, exactly. you know, that's not something that anybody really teaches you. You don't just join your next broker and have the office manager sit you down and say, hey, you know what, let's, let's talk a little bit about profit. Nobody does Nobody that, and I, I think that's what's lacking right now.
3: Okay, so let's help the people listening then. Let's, let's help yep. them. So as old fogies who have been through this and seen people make tons of money and lose tons of money, what is our advice to people over a decade to a two-decade-long career in real estate? How do you end up rich at the end of the finish line?
2: Pat, do you remember the guy in Florida? This is just going to be a conversation amongst three old friends, I'm afraid, but there is what you guys get for listening today. There was somebody uh, that was a, a billionaire. I'm trying not to name-drop, but he was in Florida. He was married to a realtor who was a Howard Britain star. you remember who I'm talking about? First name was Jim?
3: Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about.
2: Okay, all right. So he is somebody – so, guys, here's, here's exactly what happened, and Pat will laugh. So we're on stage, or uh, um, Howard at the last minute, or Amy asked at the last minute, for me to be on this panel, which, by the way, I was totally unqualified for at the time, talking about I, – I don't remember the exact name of the title, but it was like how to be rich or whatever. And there was like four other uh, stars on this panel. And I was sitting far at, at the very far end. And you remember when those Howard panels would happen. People would like fight for the microphone. So there was one microphone up there, <laughs> and the room was full of hundreds of people. You know, I mean, Pat, you've been in millions of these things before speaking. So everyone was fighting for the microphone. I just sat at the end, I didn't have anything really to contribute. I wasn't really familiar with the topic. And, you know, these people were all the the Howard stars that I was sharing the stage with were all trying to one-up each other with as far as their big stellar, you know, usually ego-filled advice. So I just sat back waiting for the 45 minutes to get over. So towards the end... Uh, Jim walks into the room, and he walks in the very back, and he's not dressed particularly nice. I didn't know him. I didn't even know who he was, but everybody else in that panel knew who he was. So he walks into the room. The room is starting to settle down towards the end of the event. People are like, okay, well, I'm getting ready. What am I going to go to next? What panel am I going to listen to next? And so he stands up and he asks a question, and we had just spent 45 minutes talking about, you know, becoming rich and all this and all these you know, buy investment properties, build your business, all the usual typical advice things. So Duvall raises his hand, stands up. And remember, this, these other three or four people I was up there with were fighting for the microphone. They all wanted to talk. It was a big, you know, ego thing. So Duvall gets up. Oh, I just said his name. And he then says, okay, I have a question. What is rich? And that's the first time that nobody on that panel wanted to say anything, which was hilarious. Remember, I didn't know The room left. fell so, silent. The room fell silent. There was this awkward pause in there. So I kind of look over my – it was my right shoulder, I remember. And I think, okay, weren't you guys going to talk? And they didn't. And, and then I said, okay, give the mic to me. And the, or the, the, you know, and then they, they basically tossed it down to me like it was a grenade with a pin pulled. And I said this. I said, rich is when your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. Okay, so the event was over. Amen. People clapped. Yeah, right? And that's the bottom line. The event was over. People clapped. Uh, people walked out of the room, you know people the stage was rushed, of course, people had individual questions, and then the other people I was sharing the panel with pulled me aside and go, that was such a good question. I can't believe you you know who that was that answered that question because Jim was notorious for basically calling uh agents at these Howard things out. I mean, I remember Nate in Arizona once told a funny story about this, but Jim would walk up to him, all these you know people that would act like they were rich but weren't really rich who had these big teams but didn't have anything to show for it, he'd just walk up to him and he'd say, hmm, tall hat, no cattle. And I remember Nate was telling a funny story once where he goes, tall hat, no cattle. And he goes, but I bet you got a new Harley, don't you? <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. And Nate, started, that.
2: Nate said he did at the time, and that's what was especially funny. Um, but so after that, it was probably maybe a month later, I get uh, an email from Jim out of the blue, and I, you know, I contacted Amy at Howard's and I said, what? Da, 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 da. And she said, if he's emailing you, you must have said something that interested him. So for probably on and off for about a year after that, he mentored me on how to create wealth. And truthfully, I did not know before that interaction with him. I had heard, I had read. So to answer your question, Pat, long story short, too late, right? The way to do it and the way Jim said he did it is he started, this is old common advice you get from your grandma, but it applies, is before you pay anything else, your taxes, your mortgage payment, your grocery bill, take 10% at, at, at the start, take it off the top, and start saving it. And then as you pay off your you know, your debt, including your house, this is what Jim told me, then you start increasing it so you're saving 20%, 30%, and then you reinvest that money. And he had reinvested in, you know, he had... Um, Walnut Groves in Canada. He had oil and gas lines. He owned part of the Florida Marlins. He had franchise rights for some golf players. I mean, he had invested in a whole bunch of different things. But he started out as what, in essence, was a normal Indiana farm boy who would buy and sell farms when he was a kid. So the moral of the story that I took from that is how practical that advice is. So Julie and I started doing exactly that, literally, when we were selling real estate, you know, we would go to the, we'd go have a closing, we'd peel off 10%, and then we increased it, and then we'd pay cash for rental properties, and then we just kept on doing it, kept on doing it, kept on doing it. Now, had Jim's uh, intervention not happened, we probably would have done what we have been doing up to that point, and what, by the way, everyone else preaches for you to do, which is invest what's left over. Or the worst advice I hear is reinvest it in your business. That's what people constantly say. Well, you've got a profit, reinvest in your business. You know, live on Raymond noodles, reinvest in your business. That's inc- completely terrible advice. So, I mean, Julie, you definitely remember that moment when we had that little epiphany about saving, I'm sure.
0: Oh, yeah, and we never saved, really, if we're being honest, we didn't save one red cent till we started peeling 10% off the top and really protecting that money and stop looking at it as if it, you just blow everything and if you end up with something, you know, left at the end. Uh, you know, who? how many agents out there actually have an honest-to-God budget for their marketing? No, well, their budget the, for their marketing is throw it all at the wall, hope something works, pray to the real estate gods, and if you end up with a nickel at the end, it must have worked.
3: It's funny you guys talk about this because, uh, you know, on my podcasts I've been doing, I've been interviewing people and I've been asking them flat out what is their net. Now, you and I both know that a lot of these people really don't know what their nets are or they lie. But mm-hmm. that's not the point. My point is that <clears throat> I ask them what their net is, and they'll say fifty percent, forty percent, thirty percent, whatever they say. But then I ask another question: is that? And, and this is for investors. I say, what are you investing your savings in now? And mm-hmm. a lot of them, about half of them, will say, "Oh, I invest it back in my business." Mm-hmm. And that's an oxymoron because you can't you can't say that you're netting X amount. And then investing it back in your business. When you net X amount, that's money that you're taking out of your business and investing in something else, right? In buying a
0: house. There you go. It's like they're double counting it. Well, (laughs) what they're counting their
2: marketing expenses, reinvesting. But, Pat, this is the bad business advice that's being given to agents disease that causes agents to fail out of this business or never understand why they can't retire. This is the insidious nature of our industry that never, ever takes into account what's best for the individual agent. Our industry is set up to do what's best for the broker or the brand. It's never protecting the individual agent. Otherwise, this advice would be given.
3: Hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. And I think the bottom line, if you want to sift it all down, is save money right as much as possible, uh, buy real estate. And I think the third thing that Jim proved, and, and you've proved also, is number three would be diversify, and by that I mean, by that I don't necessarily mean stocks and bonds or whatever, but you can look at it like that. But I mean, uh, I'll give you some great examples. Like I used to own eight houses in one neighborhood. I sold half of them, uh, and luckily that I did because three apartment high rises came up right across the street, and my rents plummeted. I um, I only own one shopping center. Uh, instead of 10, and luckily I only own one because I have three vacancies out of eight spaces. Um, now, I have twice as many good stories as bad, but I'm using the bad stories to prove the point that it's it's smart to diversify. Don't buy, and I think going back to Marshall, I think that's where he made a mistake is he bought all these little houses all in uh, his little city of Grand Rapids, Michigan. So, yeah, he had a huge real estate portfolio but it was all the same freaking thing and if and and in a bad market or a normal market if you try to sell all that at once or or even some of it all at once you're creating your own market and the value uh, drops drastically does this make sense
2: oh it does i mean and you're right that makes total sense and i like how you brought diversification into purchasing real estate cuz that's a great point too You know, don't have all your – but, Pat, even not having all your houses or all your investment properties in one city makes sense. I mean, just because you can't drive by it, it, Yeah, I mean, you – well, you you invest with a couple other guys, and you guys have purchased things in different parts of the country. You bought into commercial projects with uh, Tim, I believe, that you've never even seen before, correct?
3: Yeah, I'm in uh, Macon, Georgia. I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, Dallas, Texas, Houston, Texas – and uh another little suburb outside of Macon, Georgia. So I I'm, I'm in areas that I, and and also I have one in Dayton, Ohio. So I mean uh yeah, it makes no difference to me the address. It's 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 only a numbers game. I was taught long ago uh you know, never fall in love with something that won't love you back.
2: Bruce Williams. I remember that. Yep. Yeah.
3: So advice? Yep. Yeah, if having a if having a house near you that you can see because you're in love with it Gives it some sort of value. I don't agree with that. I talked to an agent the other day. That's like, he said, I only buy real estate that my wife could go to the front door and collect the rent for. And I was like, Well, I bet I, I bet your returns are terrible mm-hmm. because our greatest returns are in the uh, the ghetto
2: properties.
3: I mean, that's everybody knows that.
2: So Pat, I want to I want to get really dig. Do you have more time with us today? I know I scheduled you for a half hour, but can you spend a little yeah, bit yeah, more time? Yeah, fine. Yes. Okay, well, we're going to run a quick commercial so I can um, get another cup of tea, and then when we come back, I'm being honest, right? When we come back, we'll pick up where we left off. And, Pat, what I really what I really like to do, is, since I feel like we're having a really honest conversation, is I really want to peel back these layers of the onion and get to real the heart of why most agents are not being taught the practical things that will result in them being rich, which is where their money works for them. So I want to really kind of get to that, And, you know, maybe we can come up with some solutions for these guys. So we will be right back. Sounds
3: good.
1: Is coaching right for you? And how can I guarantee it will work for me? Chances are you're asking yourself those questions right now. I'll answer those critical questions for you in just a moment. But first, let's be honest about something you may have always suspected – You've probably always known that the nation's top 1% of realtors, you know, those millionaire agents you see on TV, they possess a secret knowledge that the other 99% of agents do not have. Where did they learn what they know, and more importantly, how did they learn how to put this closely guarded information into money-making action? It's simple. They have a coach. Not just any coach, the nation's mega-millions, top 1% of the realtors Know that in order to maintain their almost unfair advantage, that they must have their own personal coach, a proven, market-tested coach who has truly walked in their shoes, a coach who has worked with many of the nation's leading agents. At this point, you're probably ready to maybe try coaching. However, you don't want to be unfairly locked into a long-term ball and chain that coaching contracts can give you. It just makes sense that you should be able to try it before you buy it. Even more importantly, you want to have a coach who is the best of the best, not someone who is simply assigned to you or, even worse, has never sold real estate. Can you imagine? If this is you, I have something for you right now that is exactly what you have been looking for. For the next 48 hours, Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching is offering you a free coaching call. This is a real coaching call with a real Tim and Julie Harris coach. Now, while you are thinking about it, why don't you visit us online at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to get started. Once again, that is freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Now, let's be clear. This exclusive coaching opportunity is only available for the first 50 realtors who are stone cold serious about their real estate business and know that in order to succeed at the highest level, they must hire a coach. So don't wait any longer. Take action now and visit us again at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to schedule your free coaching call. Again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Thanks so much. See you all
2: soon. So pat help me into, uh, to understand, and this has been happening forever, so it 's not just a recent phenomenon. Why when you go to these big real estate conventions? why when you hear these you know big mega producers up on stage talking about their production? you said the word lie, and to be honest with you, I agree with you because you know I think they are lying because I think they do know what they're telling isn 't the truth about what the actual you know numbers are as pertains to their real estate business, but i don't think that I honestly don't think they're how do I say it, not knowingly lying, they just are saying what everyone else is saying. So they're kind of going along with what the other speakers are saying. They're not getting a proper education on how to save and how to build wealth. That's not something that's really championed to agents. Now, I don't hear anybody ever besides what we're doing that's, who has the stated purpose goal of being an agent-centric coaching company who wants to teach agents how to build financial freedom. Virtually everybody else they're teaching you how to build a team. They're teaching you how to do virtually everything else other than build wealth. Why is that? Can you help me understand that? Well,
3: I think that nobody I think it's difficult to sell. The way you get rich is work hard. And don't get me wrong i'm'm I'm I'm, you know that's an honest answer)
2: <laughs> I like that. Okay. All right, Pat. That was you it. You know, what?
3: everybody wants everybody wants the magic pill. You know, I mean, everybody wants something easy. That's hilarious. Easy you can't, you can't, no one's going to buy that book. No. <laughs>
2: you know That's how hard
3: truth. work you got me said. rich. You know.
2: Yeah, and well, you know, Pat, I think oftentimes a lot of these guys that are being championed at these real estate events, and we were in that position too. We admitted. It. Julie said, you know, you admitted it at the point where you felt like you were a fraud. We had a similar hell when Howard mm-hmm. made us. Howard Brinton stars back when, you know, we were in our <laughs> mid-20s. I remember I remember you know, that. We were like, okay, now what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I we've yeah. been in that position, too. And I remember going to the Howard Brinton events, and I remember talking to these top producers, and I remember getting in their heads and discovering that they didn't have any money. And I remember thinking, what the hell are we doing this for if you don't have anything to show for it? Because the benefit of talking to people that are in the career longer than you is you realize where you're probably going to be 20 or 30 years from now, and that was not a path that we wanted to go on. But, yeah, you're right. At the end of the day, it's about hard work, and that is not very romantic-sounding. <laughs> you know, that's the truth. Yeah, So that's, that's, yeah. that's,
3: that's the end of the day. You can't <clears> – <throat> yeah, you, uh, people want to know the easy way, you know, and that's what sells, quite frankly. So – yeah. <clears throat> You know, hey, I don't have a problem with somebody having a team. For instance, I interviewed a guy in, uh, in in a major metropolitan city, and he had actually never been on a listing appointment in his life or a buyer appointment. He came into the real estate business as a "quote unquote" businessman, and uh, he his job was to um, hire people and kind of run a team, and that's how he set out from the beginning. And he set out from the beginning to have a 10% or more profit because uh, he figured that uh, he knew some people in the building industry, and they were making about 8 to 12% on every house that they built. And, and he knew some other profit margins from uh retail stores and things like that and they ranged anywhere from 5 to 10% or so so he felt 10% was a good profit and 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 that's how he went in and he went in saying I'm going to work 9 to 5 I'm not going to work weekends I'm not going to leave the office I'm going to just sit at my desk and have a normal uh, regular job and I'm going to make 10% profit and 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 you know what i was like good good on you man you knew what you wanted from the beginning and i won't i'm not going to get caught up in that 10% versus 50% uh because you know you succeeded and and this is what you wanted so it's all perspective you know what i mean it's all perspective i think where we have the problem is when uh they lie or they try to um uh, bend the numbers embellish? or bend the answers, embellish so that they look good, rather than just saying, "Hey, I am who I am." Uh, on that same note, I just I finished an interview with a with a, a gay agent, and and he told me he says it's not about being gay or not gay, it's just about being a hundred percent who you are, you know. And I went in from day one saying I'm gay. You know, I'm a gay agent. He said, I understand there's a lot of agents out there that are struggling. Should they say gay or should they not say gay? How will they make more money or how will they get more business? Um, but he said, I, I don't have time for any of that, you know. So I just went in from day one and said, I'm gay, and, and how do you like me now? And he's hugely successful. So I think it's the same thing. Does that make sense?
2: No, it does. I mean, and that. but the real point of it, though, is if you get in with the idea or if you're in it now – and you decide that, hey, you know what, I don't want to be selling. I, I want to have an exit or an option to leave the industry, or at least I want to have an option to not have to work as hard at some time in the foreseeable future in the next three to five years. So how can I get there? It, you know, that's something else that's kind of interesting. When you ask agents what their goal is, especially younger dudes, they always, I probably said the same thing too. They always say the same thing. I want to have $10 million. I, I mean, that's like a common answer. They must be reading that from some script someplace. You know, and you he know, they, always say,
3: they always say millionaire before 30. Yeah. <laughs> I hear that a lot. And I had that same goal, you know.
2: Everybody, did you make it? I think that, you know,
3: so, no, it was, I think I was 30. I did not. I know I did not. I was 32.
2: So the thing that's interesting is when you ask people why, they want to accomplish that particular goal. Why did you want to be a millionaire by your time you are 32? Or why do you want to have this particular you know, financial whatever? They never can give you an answer because it's all ego. They want to do it so they can feel like they can, you know, I am a millionaire. They want the status of it. But then when you really drill down with questions, what they're really looking for is financial freedom. And oftentimes that can be achieved with having a net worth of a lot less than a million dollars if you invest it correctly. You know, So that's, where, that's the magic about this industry, I think, is that it does create different opportunities, but there's so many, I don't know, it's almost become a plague in our industry of ego. And, and the industry is now so much reinforcing these big teams with these big numbers. But guys, listen to what we're saying. Oftentimes, famous does not mean rich. I mean, Pat, I can remember on one hand the people that uh, we probably both still uh, know of, you know, who are truly, truly wealthy. I can think on one hand from, you know, the Howard days, the people that were truly wealthy. Do H- you think that will ever change?
3: No, no. And you know what they did? Uh, they, I mean, and we've already said this, we're repeating ourselves, but those are the ones that invested in real estate slowly, methodically, and, um, and very quietly.
2: Yes, that was the key thing, isn't it? very quietly. They didn't brag about it. They didn't show up at events and talk about, you know, all their investments, but you heard tale or you'd pick up little pieces that they just bought a whole city block or they're building a 300 unit building in Miami or all those types of things. So, Pat, I'm curious. I mean, you're you still are you have an active real estate license, you still have a team. What things are you doing differently now uh, you know, post real estate apocalypse? <laughs> what are you doing now and what are you sort of advising other people to do as well?
3: Well, you know, here's kind of my evolution. You know, I was, I was a, I was a hardworking realtor and then I developed a team and then I rode the wave in the mar, in the big market. And then 2010, when it, when it was all kind of the dust was settling and the smoke was clearing, I sold my business to my partner, Mike Sloan, who's been with me 13 years now. And, uh, he now runs it, and I still get some profits. I get a 10% referral fee off the top of every deal, and we split profits 50-50. Um, and he has a very high split on all the deals he does. So uh, he he's very happy with that deal. I'm very happy with that deal. Um, I wrote my book, Six Steps to Seven Figures. I went on a a, a national tour. I did 53 cities in seven months. I decided after that that I was going to take a month off. That month kind of slid into about two years, and I, I, I took that two years off, and I kind of I bought houses. I flipped a lot of houses. I kept uh, four of them and rented them out. I bought four apartment buildings in addition to those houses. I got involved with several small companies where people just came to me saying, You know, we want to grow our company or we want to start our company, and I funded the company. Um, And and essentially what I did, Tim, is I went from about, in a two-year period, I went from about 21 horizontal streams of income, where a horizontal stream is, let's say, a house. That would be one horizontal stream, one one thing that pays you mailbox money every month, to 43. So currently I have 43 horizontal streams. All that pay me either monthly or quarterly. Some don't pay me at all. Some I have to write checks for. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Uh, there's no, it's not all great. Um, but uh, you know, more make me money than lose me money, and I come out well ahead. And that, all those forty some things, pay my bills plus give me money left over to invest in more things. And um, about two months ago, I decided that being an investor was fun, but number one, eventually you run out of money to invest. And number two, um, I kind of missed working, and I kind of missed having a one thing, a a one focus to uh, get excited about. And so uh, I created a podcast company called Hyben Digital, and now we do podcasts with top real estate agents and we're, uh, we have, uh, we're essentially a network and we have other shows that uh, we're incubating currently that are going to come out that have to do with investing and, and mortgage loans and, and all kinds of fun stuff. We even have a guy doing a gambling one that's uh, going to be part of our network. So uh, that's kind of become my one thing and, and, and I'm real excited. So I'm, I'm back to work
2: so i'm not hearing anything about you buying real estate brokerages i'm not hearing about you doing any sort of the traditional you know in industry type investments why not
3: well i don't think it's a good time right now to buy real estate and uh, brokerages i that's just a personal opinion i mean i don't know if we're if we're going to go up or we're going to go down to be honest with you i hear i hear two different stories uh i'm not convinced although i Although I do see prices going up, I'm not convinced that the number of units is going to go up, and any real estate brokerage makes its money on that number of units. You have to have transactions to create commissions um, uh not just prices going up um so i you know i I could be dead wrong, but um I, I don't see a lot of profit in going out and buying a bunch of uh uh, real estate brokerage, I don't see a lot of profit, and I see a lot of risk in, in in growing the team. Or it really would be up to Mike in in growing the team too big. He he does have aspirations to grow it, and I'm I I, I fortify those as, uh, aspirations. I want him to grow it. I want him to do certain things. I don't want him to do too much. Um, and uh, I I was buying and flipping a lot. I uh, got to a point in January just a few months ago. Where I had three outstanding flips, Uh, one had been on the market or off the market, meaning the money was out of my hands for about 16 months. I had another one that was out of my hands about seven months, and um, I decided that I didn't like having the money out of my hands that long, and it was taking too long to flip them. So I really have pulled back, and I haven't done any of those in about 60 days. And then I was buying houses and renting them out, and I stopped doing that too because uh, the prices have gone up, Since I did mine, the numbers still work, but they don't work as well. Uh, Actually, where I'm investing today, uh, meaning this year, is in multifamily. I am in the process of uh, potentially buying an apartment building uh, with my company, DAPT Acquisitions, um, um, in in Houston, Texas. So um, we like that area, and we like – uh, landlord laws are very friendly. It's easy to evict people um, and uh, it's easy to uh, collect rents and, and there's, um, you know, a lot of things are better. It seems to be uh, government policies and things are better and the numbers are better. The, the, the returns that you get for the amount of money that you spend on a, what we call a door, an apartment building um, uh, uh, the returns are Better than wherever other places we can find them, so that's where my money's going this year
2: Houston's probably one of the best markets in the country for that right now i you know that's going to reward you well uh yeah, I mean that's a pretty dynamic market Houston's incredible because there's so much diversity you have suburbia, but they have a really really uh, expanding um sort of uh, i don't know what you want to call it, but all these Hipster types are buying all these, uh, you know, built uh, multi units, condos, old, big, old houses and big lots are being torn down. They're putting four families in there. Yeah, we have got a lot of coaching clients down in the Houston area, and it's really an incredibly exciting market, so that'll do really well. Julie, you said you had a question?
0: Well, so, Pat, was there a time when you can look back and say that you had an aha moment that it wasn't about the individual real estate deal or the real estate deals? that it was about what you were doing with the income and the net that came from those deals? Because I don't hear you – sometimes we do these interviews and it's all about going to deal to deal to deal or groups of deals and, you know, the volume. What I hear you talking about is what you've done with the results from your real estate practice.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's not all rosy. I mean, I'll be honest with you. So I would say that I've always been a good saver in the sense that, where other people were setting goals of buying new watches and new cars and putting pools in their backyard, my goals were always like I want to have a $100,000 certificate of deposit or I want to pay off my second mortgage or I want to you know, pay off my cars. There, there were always goals of savings-related goals or investment-related goals. I want to have five rental properties, things like that. And I think that helped me because I was still able to – set goals and achieve goals, they meant something. So that's that that's part of it. But what happened to me is um I got caught up in the amount of money, meaning um I think it was about nineteen ninety eight I had three hundred and fifty thousand bucks, which which was a lot and no real estate, one house that I lived in. And um and I wanted to be a millionaire, right? I wanted to be um rich, so uh, I put it in the stock market, and of course, at that time, it was a no lose stock market i mean no matter what you did and I margined it hundred percent, so back then you could margin you could take three hundred fifty grand, you could buy seven hundred thousand dollars worth of stock, and if the stock market went up thirty percent you not you didn't make two hundred and ten thousand you made four hundred and twenty thousand so um, i mean. You understand what I'm saying? If you margin, you made twice as much of of what the return was when you were right. on 100% margin, and it works in an ascending market. So it worked, and I took that 350 all the way up to 1.4, and I remember being so excited. I had 1.4 million dollars. My goal for the next year was to be over two million dollars. Well, 9/11 happened. the 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 stock market plummeted. Um, the margin contracted. Everything had to be sold. My 1.4 million dollars went all the way back down to like 310 grand. So, you know, I, I, I actually the 350 number was wrong. It was 650. So I started with 650. I doubled it plus some, and then I lost it all back down to 310 or so. So I lost like 900. Almost a million dollars and you know these are rough numbers, so I lost a million bucks in a year and that, and then it was at that point to answer your question, which was right around two thousand and one uh that I said that's it, all my cash is going into real estate, and I started buying, and it was a good time to start buying because I started buying college properties in University of Maryland College Park, and I started and that's where I ended up buying eight properties that uh, served me really well, and then I bought properties elsewhere, and then I sold a bunch. Then I bought some duplexes, triplexes. I bought an 18-unit apartment building. Then I sold all of them. them. Uh, then I started buying things like I got into a warehouse, a shopping center, an office building, uh, eventually four apartment buildings, five apartment buildings, um, more commercial things, and now I own – um, I still own about 10 single families. I held on to like the 10 best ones and I bought some a couple of years ago because they, they were good deals. I felt and, uh, and I have a diversity of commercial and I also have about 10% in uh, like savings uh, type vehicles, but 90% of it's in some sort of real estate or private companies. I'm, I'm invested in nine private companies. So um just small companies that are local that are any variants of things, I have a payroll company, I have a um, infectious disease control company When I say i have it doesn 't mean they 're my companies. I own twenty percent or ten percent or three percent or or whatever of these companies. so private companies and real estate is is generally what i 've been investing in
2: so it sounds like over time, Pat, your desire to be rich went from being able to claim and have the status of saying you were a millionaire, to actually focusing on the passive income, actually producing the security, you know, creating the security for you and your family. It, it's interesting what you said that you weren't, you were more motivated by increasing your net worth through investments than you were buying the latest, you know, depreciating fill-in-the-blank thing. Uh, when so, when you, re, I mean, obviously everyone's motivated by different things. The feeling that you have now of having Really follow this path that not very many people go down, that you're not going to get a lot of pats in the back, at, you know, pun intended, at real estate conventions just because you bought another multifamily. Nobody wants to talk about that. They want you to talk about your latest home brochure or your personal, or your branding effort or your direct mail piece, you know. So, do you really foresee a time when the markets, when the agents are going to start be given, or are going to be given the respect and the training that they really deserve? to better their own situations so that they can get to the point where you are financially. Do you think that's ever actually going to take hold in our industry?
3: I think to say that it would take hold in our industry is kind of like saying it would take hold in our entire culture. And, and, uh, you know, I hate to be a pessimist, but, um, you know, that old saying, you can't change a leopard's spots – I tend to agree with I don't want to be negative Tim, but you know, I really think that um you know, you're either you either save and invest or you don't, you know, and, and our culture is such one where people just love to spend and people just hate to budget. I mean it is it is it is um excruciating to budget. It is excruciating to think about money and to to think about, you know, the, the, what you have to do to drive a, a car that's not as nice as four of your neighbors or or whatever. Unfortunately, that's true, but I think that the sooner you can build a tolerance to that, the richer you'll become. But to, to go back to the answer to the question is, no, I don't think anything's going to change. I think you're always going to have a 90-10 rule, and that 10% is going to be the people who think from the beginning, screw this, I'm saving some cash. You know, screw this! I'm investing in real estate. You know, it's not a matter of of analyzing it and 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 waiting for the right time or any of that. It's really just a matter of of doing it. Does that make sense? So,
2: well, it does. So we're of the belief, having been coaches longer than we've actually sold real estate, we're of the belief that when you give people the right tools, and this is what you've said as well throughout today's interview from people that have influenced you. To, you know the books you've read, the people that have taken time to be a mentor you know intentionally or otherwise with you, I think personally, given the right tools, when people are uh, really shown the way it's my personal belief that they will they will realize that. but there are certain you said society, so i'll buy off on that there's certain societal things that go on that try to keep people uh, you know it's the whole crabs in a bucket thing, right? I mean, if you put three or four crabs in a bucket and uh, one of the crabs tries to crawl out, and I've actually seen this happening actually when we were visiting Penny McLaughlin out in Washington State years ago, and one tries to crawl out, you'll see the other crabs literally kind of grab that crab and pull that crab back into the bucket. And I think societally uh, enough people, once they realize that I can have financial independence, I can't, have, can't can't have financial freedom, I can't actually you know be rich where my money works for me and I don't have to work for my money anymore, I think more people are going to go down that path. And personally – I think that's what has to happen in our industry for our industry ever to be truly healthy because the industry's backbone is the individual agent, specifically the individual listing agent. The ind- Listing agents are the most important asset for our industry, and they are, I think, being exploited. I think they're being taken advantage of. I think they're being, in a lot of ways, to be honest with you, abused, degraded. You know, everyone hates to hate on the listing agent or loves to hate on the listing agent nowadays. And then the listing agent, you know, the listings in the country right now are the most important thing that we can actually produce more of, and not enough people are being taught to produce, produce, pursue listing agents or listings, and not enough agents are being taught how to actually build long-term sustainable wealth. The stronger the agent, the stronger the broker, the stronger the broker, the stronger the industry. The stronger the industry, really, the better off all of us are going to be. This sort of top-down approach that our industry has taken for years—it is—it has to—it's over. It just doesn't even work anymore. That's the reason that you have these interlopers entering into our industry that aren't really, don't have our best interest in mind. The third-party portals, and now you see Google making an investment in Auction.com. And you see all these other types of things happening. It's because they realize that our industry is dysfunctional. But the only way to turn that around is for people to, our industry to realize that the strength comes from the individual agent, not from the top down as it's been forever. So in a way, I'm hoping, starting with listing agents, that there's going to be a bit of a revolution where people are going to wake up to the fact they need to seize control of their futures because nobody else is looking out for them. Their broker isn't. Their office manager isn't. Their heirs and emissions insurance company isn't. Nobody is. They have to look out for themselves. So... Yeah, honestly, I think given the right tools, I think everybody would want what you have. Everyone would want to be successful. Everyone would want to be financially free. That's what I honestly believe. Julie, do you have any closing thoughts?
0: Well, here's my thought is that one of the best things I think came out of our mutual experience with Howard was all the relationships like we have now with Pat, you know. How much have all of us been able to accomplish simply because we were aware that it was possible and because our exposure to agents that did monetize their business into bigger, better, greater things for themselves and their families, it's because we've had all that exposure. And that's what the radio shows about. That's what the interviews are about. That's what the superstar interviews are about. That's what coaching is about you know, versus just being surrounded by your office mates who, you know, I mean, there's offices in the country where you're considered number one top producer because you did a deal this month. That's not the kind of exposure we're looking for, you know. (laughs) I, I think it's important that you surround yourself with people who have done more and better and more interesting and more fulfilling stuff. And I think that's the thing that all of us are trying to bring to the market I think it's possible, but only if agents have their eyes open to it. I think that's, I mean, one of the number one reasons why the three of us have done what we've done is because so of top that early association. I mean, we all met, we I think we were all in our 20s back then.
2: So top you know? producers yeah. who are, who are yeah. out there selling hundreds of houses and you guys making, you know, all that, and you know, Pat's doing interviews with a lot of you guys right now and has, has podcasts that he started. So... You know, let's just do a little Be Honest here. If you're not saving a good 10 or 20% of every transaction you're doing and reinvesting it, what the heck are you doing? Why are you doing it? And those of you who admire those folks, please choose your leaders. Choose your mentors. Actually decide where you want to be 5 or 10 or 20 years in the future and listen to what we're telling you. There was no hidden agendas from today's radio show. None (laughs) for sure. It was an informal conversation about what we've learned along the road. Please, please, please learn from But it's from it. honest. You know, We're
0: the, as you said, at the top of the call, the gloves are off. We're always going to be honest. Then as you said, we're an agent-centric centric company. We're not pro or anti any particular brokerage or system or anything nope. like
2: that. We're pro-agent. That's what matters. You know, a smart man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns from the mistakes of others. A woman as well, right? So learn from... All the mistakes that, you know, Pat's been honest enough, this the reason we love him, and that we've shared with you from our own personal experience. So, guys, listen, the roadmap is there for you to follow. It's, it's, it's up to you to decide what your destination is going to be. We've painted a crystal clear picture of the really, you know, one of the many paths, the two real, you know, I think most dominant paths in real estate, the big team broke agent or you know, the agent who decides that I'm going to be out in a certain amount of time because I'm going to build a certain net worth and I'm going to take a business approach to this and I'm probably going to be a lone wolf in my marketplace because no one's really going to understand or appreciate what I'm doing. When you're in that position, request a free coaching call, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Do yourself a favor, get an ally to walk the path with you, and really take some control of your future because, hey, nobody else is going to take care of you but you. That is a simple fact. So, Pat, thanks for joining us for today's radio show. It was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again.
3: Yeah, I had a blast. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. See you. See you, guys.
1: This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows.